This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Former Springbok legend and prop Robbie Kempson is our guest today on Front Row Rugby. Robbie, a very warm welcome to you. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Looking very forward to the conversation. Robbie, let's go back to 1995. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you started on the bench against Wales. It was the first test after the 95 World Cup. And then you were in and around the box squad for quite a while before finally making your debut in 1998. Was there a period of time where you thought that it just isn't going to happen? Um, no, not really. Um, yeah, 95 on the bench, Kitch uh, Christie, the coach then, uh, got to watch Corbus Vesa sort of put that punch on uh, the Welsh lock and, and, and fell him, literally. Um, kind of happened in front of our bench. And then Bali Swart went down towards the latter part of the game and I was about to get on the park and then Bali got up again, unfortunately. So didn't get my debut then. And I think, no, I, th- I think it actually just maybe a bit of a learning curve for my career because I thought, you know, here I am on the bench, I've kind of made it. And it's certainly never the case in rugby. I mean, there were other guys that then got in before me before I finally made it back in 98 uh, into the side. But certainly gave me a, a very strong learning curve to where I was in my career and that you, you have to maintain a certain level of professionalism right throughout the way you play. And uh I think because it taught me that, it managed, you know, I managed to stay in the Springbok side for a longer period the next time I got the opportunity. And then what was the feeling like when you actually did get to run onto the field for the box? And listen, it's, it is a blur. I mean, I've, I'm a good mate with Ulrich Lowe, who played his first test this year as well, also against Wales. It's, it literally is a blur. I don't remember it. I watched videos of me coming off the bench. Uh, you know, I played against my good mate Paddy that was playing for Ireland. It was that bloodthirsty test where you know, we really did climb into Ireland uh, quite physically. And um, yeah, I got, got uh, I think Peter Clowes, he managed to get a punch on me in my very first track as well. So that's part of the, probably the only thing I remember about the game. Other than that, it was just a very ferocious game. Uh, but the feeling is, you can't explain the feeling. Um, every time you get that opportunity to sing the national anthem in front of uh, any crowd in South Africa, it doesn't matter which stadium it is. It's just, it's really a special occasion. So uh, from the first to the last game that I managed to play for the Springboks, that same feeling will always be there. And it's really difficult to describe. And it was a great time to be a Bok as well, because 1998 was actually a very successful period in Springbok rugby. Talk me through the Tri-Nations that year. It was a really great squad of you know, individual players that played collectively as a unit. Uh, I would say no real stars, but you did have the likes of Jus van der Vestes, amongst others. I, you know, Gary Tashman, our captain, was outstanding. I mean, Rassi was there, Andre Fent. You go through all the names in the team. Um, and I think what really did us well for that entire campaign, um, the games that we, we won, particularly away from home, you know, winning at Athletic Park was a big thing for us. Um, you know, winning in Australia as well at the Subiaco Oval. Um, and it's just that the way that whole team just galvanized was all these different, you know, very cosmopolitan team. And you know, Tash managed to lead it uh, to a lot of very good victories. I think the Durban Test match, my favorite Test match of all time. Um, sure, I forget the scores, 23-5 down, I think we were, um, with about 11 minutes to go. And then we managed to win it uh, at the end. I mean, we literally saw people walking out the stadium. But that team still had a belief that was, you know, you, you couldn't dent it. Um, even down like we were, uh, you know, against the All Blacks, uh, a couple of words from Tash and the whole team just galvanized and got stuck in and we managed to come out on top. And the same happened 
um, you know, Athletic Park. We got up. Um, fantastic win for us. I think that the one thing that was subtle, subtle change in rugby itself was the use of substitutes. And the way that, um, you know, we've got a bomb squad now. We, we actually had a bomb squad back then. A guy called Oli LaRue he used to come off the bench. He was a formidable player. And, you know, over that 20 minutes when he came on, he really made a massive difference and sort of f- finished the game for us. Um, amongst the other, other players, like Werner Swanepoel also came off the bench. So I think the way Nick Mallet utilised substitutes, which was quite a foreign thing at the time, I think that really you know, helped that team and the whole team, which went about uh, the squad, re- really be a really tight-knit group. Uh, quite right. Um, it was 23-5 against the All Blacks, as you say, with 11 or 12 or whatever it was uh, minutes to go. Uh, and, and it's a bit of a lesson there to fans to don't leave the stadium before the final whistle because you never know what you're going to miss. Um, let's talk about the 98 end of year tour. Obviously, the Tri-Nations had been a brilliant experience for, for, for the Springboks. Off to the UK, Wales, Scotland, Ireland. We beat them all, but probably not the best performances that we've seen. And then England at Twickenham, it would have been a grand slam had we won that test match, but we we sort of came unstuck. But just in terms of the performances that that were maybe not as good as we had seen earlier in the year, what do you think was the reason for that? There's no question tired fatigue, uh, very tired squad. I think you're right. The Wales game, we only just won. Uh, Scott Gibbs scored an excellent draw against us in that one, but we just scraped through. Uh, went up to Scotland and uh, Nick Mallet absolutely lambasted us on the Monday. We thought we were going to have a flush out. Next thing we were doing fitness in the cold and wet in, in Edinburgh. Um, Scotland, uh, right, so a much better performance, but certainly nothing like we did in the Tri-Nations. Um, Ireland, uh, you know, that was kind of where Bob Skinstad really hit the scene. So him and Yerst, you know, burst that game open and actually got us the victory. So it wasn't a comfortable victory, but we got it. And I think going into the England test, I mean, it's surprising to say they were kind of the lesser of the evils, so to speak, at the time. They, they, I don't think we took them as seriously as we probably should have. Um, I think a mistake, which in, in hindsight is always a mistake, a couple of wives and girlfriends came over for that week. So you know, guys were shopping in the high streets and, and having a, a wonderful time, which I think just kind of took the focus and the edge off that final test against England, which, you know, if, if Andreas Neyman did do that last pass, we could, could have still won. Um, it was right, right at the end of the game, he had a break and he just had to pop it on to Stefan de Blanche, I think, and potentially might have had a try. But... Um, yeah, I think we probably underestimated them in that last game. And I think the way the season had gone and how we had managed to dig ourselves out of difficult circumstances, particularly against All Blacks and then against Wales um, and Ireland, uh, you know, I think we never thought we could lose the game. And um, unfortunately, the English had different ideas on the day and uh, we just we got pipped at the post. Okay, sp- speaking about things that are unfortunate, after that uh, 1999, two big wins over Italy and then... Really an anomaly, really, going to Cardiff to play Wales in June. And as we now know, it was the first time that the Welsh ever beat the Springboks in a, in a test match at the, at the then newly opened Millennium Stadium. Do you think in hindsight maybe that fixture was a mistake? Um, again, I think it's the way we approached that fixture. I think, yeah, you're right. We came with two big wins. Um, again, Wales is not a fancied side. It's not a side that we really probably gave enough respect at the time. And they got one over us. Um, some obscure refing decisions, <laughs> as happens. We've got to blame the ref some some stage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they came out firing. They had their passion. They were opening their new stadium. They, and they climbed into us. And 
Um, I wouldn't say a mistake. I just would think, you know, it was strange playing at that time of year in Wales, you know, in bright sunshine, quite a humid day, not the cold and the wet that we're kind of used to, you know. And we were probably caught a little bit off guard with regards to that. After that Wales test, the next time you played for the Springboks was in 2000 against Canada, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was that because of injury? Yes, I had a couple of injuries at the time, actually. I yeah, had a hernia operation. I had a couple of other operations around my neck at the time. So, unfortunately, I was put down deep, yeah, out of the, the squad for injury. Mallet started off with 16 wins in as many test matches, which is brilliant. And then after that, he only won 10 of his next, oh, sorry, 11 of his next 21, which is, you know, quite mediocre by Springbok standards. And you were part of both of those, let's call them eras. What do you think the difference was in the, in the second half of Mallet's era? To be honest, I think Gary Tashman uh, was a big loss for South Africa, particularly going into the World Cup. Um, he also had an injury, which he kind of played through in 98, uh, and then going into 99, didn't quite hit the same sort of form um, and you know, didn't make the World Cup. But I think the captaincy and the way Tash led that squad, as I said, it was a very cosmopolitan squad. Um, and seeing sort of that era of players, you know, the likes of Mark Andrews, the likes of Tash, um, Henry Honeyball, all those guys sort of, you know, coming to the end of their careers and, you know, Nick and the coaching staff trying to balance who takes over from them. Um, you know, then Bob Skinstad came into the mix as well. And, you know, that ruffled sort of the loose trio that we had had for all those games that were so successful. So there are a lot of different dynamics, I think, which affected that performance. Um, most of it for me, um, I would think, was the captaincy of Tash. I think he was a, f- a phenomenal leader, both at the Sharks and for the Springboks. Um, but, but I think just what he had not to, you know, for any other of the captains to be put aside, but he really managed to get a a squad from all these different provinces and was quite tribal back then, from this free state, from, you know, Gauteng, from, you know, the Stormers at the time, the Sharks, very different um, sort of cultural experience that all these guys came from, and he managed to bring that together, where perhaps in the the latter part of uh, Nick's uh, tenure, he didn't have that sort of captain that manage to bring all of those players together and make sure that they played you know, for one common cause. Okay, Robbie, similar question then. After Nick Mallet departed, Harry Fulhoun came in uh, for, as it turned out, I think it was about 18 months as Springbok coach. Similar story in that the results and the performances were not necessarily as good as maybe Springbok fans may have wanted them to be. I don't think that Harry suffered any hidings necessarily, but the results were not always there. Why do you think that was the case? Uh, you know, Harry had a different approach. Um, it's almost difficult to explain the approach, to be honest. So we went over to Argentina and we weren't allowed to kick the ball until Monty forgot that he was told not to kick the ball. Uh, and we almost lost that game to Argentina. So you know, Harry had these other ideas on how to play rugby and he, he almost tried to change the scope and the way we played. Um, and was, you know, under Harry, he had a lot of coaches. I mean, he had uh, on that tour, I just remember... You know, Ian Mack and Andre Markroff uh, being the Ford's coaches. And if you know the characters, uh, they just they don't mix well together. They don't stir in a cup of tea at all together. Um, so I think that dynamic didn't help everything at the time. Um, again, a lot of the, the stalwarts of Springbok rugby throughout that sort of 88, 89, sorry, 98, 99 era 
I mentioned Mark Tash, Henry Honeyball. Now, all of those guys have now retired or gone and played overseas. And the new guys had to come through. And I, I think the transition from the old to the new um, under Harry and what Harry was trying to achieve as a coach, which is change the game plan and you know, try to play this expansive game, which perhaps didn't suit the style that you know he's played in South Africa. So I think he, that, that's probably why he battled a bit. As you say, no major hidings, but certainly the performance weren't as a standard as we would now expect of the Springboks. And then you didn't go on the end of your tour in 2001 and you were out for 2002 as well. Was that also uh, injury related? Uh, another neck injury, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Curry Cup final, um, I was playing for province against my old mate Sharks and uh, the scrum collapsed and Oli and I can't remember the hooker's name at the moment, but uh, yeah, they did put a bit of pressure on my neck and uh, yeah, something went. And <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't manage to go on that end of year tour, which was, you know, unfortunate, but yeah, these things happen in rugby. The, the Sharks hooker wasn't Lucas van Bouillon by any chance? It wasn't Lukey at the time. No, Lukey came straight afterwards. Actually, oh. it's only when he went into Rousseau. Now, let's let's get into 2003. Obviously, now the latter stages of, of, of your Springbok career. 2003, I think, was, was pretty much a low point in South African rugby. Uh, and for me, the, 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 the ultimate low was that 52-16 defeat to the All Blacks in Pretoria. I know that you were on the bench for that test match, but would you say that that was also the lowest point in your Bok career? And without a doubt. Um, again, at the time, I mean, we were based in Durban going up before that test match. We literally flew up on the Friday before the test match, which, as we know now, is probably not the, the best thing to do with regards to altitude. Um, you know, the guys were taken to a game reserve and put into bunk beds that weren't really suitable for well, professional rugby players, we called ourselves. Um, so I had a cold night at a game reserve and then, you know, we were playing the All Blacks the next day and, and all, all of this was done to toughen us up, so to speak. So, which I didn't quite understand. I thought we were quite tough folks because we've got to where we were. And yeah, I, I think the performance on that day, it, it, unfortunately, was always going to be the result of what happened during the week, um, which wasn't a really you know a conclusive week of you know going into test matches. I said with the travel and everything, and and the cold and all the sorts of things that were going on behind the scenes. So I think that detracted from playing the All Blacks that day, and it was it was an absolutely terrible game. Um, we were never in it. They dominated us from start to finish, um, and I was playing against my old mate Case Muse. And, you know, before one of the scrums, he gave me a wink and I just and I said to our back, listen, they're coming for us on the scrum and kind of no one reacted. And they did. <laughs> I said, thanks to Case afterwards for letting me know he was about to beat us up. But um, it was, yeah, it was definitely the low point. Um, it's, it's not never nice to, to lose a game in a Springbok jersey, but the manner in which we lost that one, I think that still hurts a little bit. How disappointed are you that you didn't get a chance to play in a World Cup? Yeah, listen, injured uh, before the first one, the second one, also I had an older nerve injury, so I you know, had to have an operation there. Um, you know, at the time, I, I didn't think too much of it, to be honest with you. But now that you look back and you now see what happens in World Cups, and you know, it, it actually it does. It's, it's a bit of a sad thing from my career point. Um, I was very fortunate at the time that I was playing for Ulster, um, you know, you know, after my injury, so uh, which for me was one of the best experiences I've had outside playing for the Springboks. So I was fortunate that I was in a very tight-knit group of individuals that you know, did support me at the time. Um, so, yeah, but still, it does. Uh, I mean, to play in a World Cup, and I think for any player out there, they should really aspire to do that. It is something really special, which uh, unfortunately I didn't get 
<laughs> to do, but yeah, never know. Maybe I'll go to to France and do something there for some, for, you know, in another capacity. The early two thousands was um, it wasn't the best period uh, for South African rugby, and we've been talking about that quite a bit now. Uh, and I think that the mood here is a bit morbid, so let's let's up it a little bit. Tell me, what is the funniest or most entertaining moment that you experienced on a Springbok tour? Yo. Um, those aren't to be repeated, I'm told. <laughs> it goes on days on because there are a few that happen with regards to team rooms and all sorts of things. Um, pr- probably one of my funnier moments um, would probably be Robbie Fleck. Uh, always Robbie Fleck. He's a, he's a different little chap. But um, I remember one of the, the planning is Australia. They were going to take a kick, and I can't remember the kicker guy who was kicking for poles. But anyway, went for the kick, slipped um, before we kicked the ball. The ball literally just fell over and you know, the crowd started laughing. And Flecky ran up to him and started laughing in his face as well. Uh, it's, it's probably not the best thing to do, but it, it really was a funny moment, to be honest. Yeah. Um, outside of that, on tours, yeah, you have your jokers. If Flecky comes to mind, Monty is always joking around. And you know, um, Rusty Erasmus himself was a, quite a naughty chap. He had a little group of guys with him and Smiley. Uh, Verna smiled all together. So, no, there's a lot of fun that was had on tours. Eh? Um, also on the golf course, it was actually uh, you know, everyone that played with Nick at the time actually got fired from the Springboks, uh, particularly if you beat him at golf. So, you know, first Jake went and then Henry went, then I went and then uh, Tash went. So, the, I think the rule is never play uh, golf with Nick. <laughs> Good rule indeed. Uh, and then, Robbie, finally, tell us about the spelling of Robbie. Oh, Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, listen, it actually happened in view of the fact that I was, we were signing a lot of jerseys at the time. So instead of writing out my whole name, I just shorted it to Robbie K. And that's literally where it came from. It wasn't a, a long thought process or anything that's obscure. It was just an easier way for me to sign. At the time, we were signing 50 to 100 jerseys every week. So I just shortened it to that. And it's kind of almost stuck in a way. So, yeah. Nothing more special than that, to be fair. Cool, cool. Uh, Robbie Kempson, it has been lovely having you on Front Row Rugby, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Peter, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Last time on Front Row Rugby, Val Bartman was our guest. You can go and have a look at the video. It's appearing on your screen right now. And next time, Peter Miller will be with us. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.